if you think you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. Ed Gross and me, Mark A. Altman, have a new oral history coming out this July from St. Martin's Press. It's Secrets of the Force, the complete, uncensored, unauthorized oral history of the Star Wars saga. So wherever you buy books, audio and video, pick it up today, pre-order, and you can learn the secrets of the Force. And don't miss our oral history of Star Trek in stores now. And of course, nobody does it better. The complete oral history of James Bond in digital, hardcover, paperback, and audio. That is all. Hey, Darren, have you been watching us on uh, the Electric Now app? I have. I haven't recently because I, I, I watch you pretty much every week when we're doing these things. But Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, you know what I love about it's, the Electric Now app? It's better it's on so video. It's so easy to use. It's, it's, it's better really on video. Easy. Download the it. app and you watch us. That's all there is to it. It's so and, simple. And a lot of other cool stuff, too. You go to the app store. It says Electric Now. You download it. And then... You in press, the United States, press the button, and there it is. There it is, and you can choose. You can bookmark it. There's plenty of other movies and TV show to enjoy, and episodes of all your favorite Electric Surge podcasts. So why wait? Download the Electric Now app and start enjoying us anytime. If you like Inglorious Trexperts, you're going to love our new Trexperts briefing room, where Darren and myself curate classic episodes of Star Trek with special guests from various Star Trek series talking about the episodes you love. I think that sounds great. Let's, well, I can't let's, wait to do it. Let's go see. What episodes are we doing, Darren? Well, I, we don't want to give it away. Okay. Well, then you need to watch Trexperts Briefing Room wherever you listen to Inglorious Trexperts and on the new Trexperts Briefing Room podcast feed. Don't miss it. Coming intermittently <laughs> in the coming weeks. Trexpert's Briefing Room. It's what every real Trexpert needs. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Dockerman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And are you a fan of Star Trek, Darren? I I could be I could be classified as a fan of Star Trek, yes. Do you love Star Trek? I, I, I guess it depends on your definition of Star Trek, but yes. Yes, I, well, I do. We have the man, the myth, the legend, the man who who paid homage who 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 was the mecca of fandom for many many years the great dan matson is here he was the uh founder and proprietor of um the official star trek fan club this was a huge thing in the 80s and 90s huge and uh there's no bigger captain than uh than dan matson he has an amazing story about how he got involved in star trek it's 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 incredible. We're lucky to call him a friend. Uh, he he um, he did a, a lot of great work. He was very close with a lot of the stars and uh, with Gene um, during the heyday of Trek back uh, in the, the era of the um, the eighties and nineties. For those who weren't around then, this was the pinnacle of popularity and power of Star Trek as a as an idea as a franchise. You know, at one point there were. You know, several shows on at the same time. Um, and it's just amazing the the pop culture power that was happening during the time that Dan Madsen was running the the fan club. Yeah, Star Trek was never bigger than when Next Generation of those final seasons, the Deep Space Nine premiered. Um the movies were in the offing, the next generation movies, the handoff from uh, 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 next generation to Voyager. This was just a huge time. It was a huge mainstream success, big ratings. It got nominated for an Emmy award, uh, seventh season of the next generation. Uh, I, I don't think we'll see the likes of that again. And um, it was, it was pretty remarkable and, and, and covering all this. And at the heart of all this was Dan Matson and the official Star Trek fan club. And we're really lucky to have him on the show today to talk about his his experience 
first um, falling in love with Star Trek uh, as a teenager. And then, of course, um, uh, starting and uh, managing the uh, Star Trek fan club for uh, two decades. So um, without any further ado, uh, let's bring on Dan Madsen. And now we're joined by uh, Dan. Welcome to the Trucksperts, Dan. How are you guys? Nice Good. to see you. Know, there, there, there are a lot of people that are... Um, that are fans or, or love Star Trek, but they're not Trexperts. But I sort of put you in that rare fried group of Trexperts. I mean, you, your, your love and your passion for Star Trek goes, goes, goes back to the very beginning. And uh, pain runs deep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you go stronger through the sharing. So let's share a little bit. Um, tell us, you know, I, because it's such an interesting story, how you first fell in love with Star Trek way back when. Well, that's 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 a story that does go way back, um, back to when I was in junior high. I was uh, 14 years old. And um, for those who don't know, because they can't tell from seeing me in this angle here, but I'm a little person. Um, I stand just a little over four feet tall. Um, and um, I was coming home from school one day. And, you know, back then, you know, you got made fun of occasionally and kids would pick on me and stuff. And so uh, I came home in a rather foul mood because uh was you happy about the kids that were picking on me on the way home. My brother happened to be watching Star Trek on the TV, the reruns. Um, and I, you know, I really had never bothered to watch Star Trek. I, I just, I hadn't had any interest in it. Um, but for some reason, you know, I grabbed my, my, um, my, my chalk, my chocodile and my glass of milk and I sat down and uh, I sat next to my brother and I happened to watch the episode that was on that day and it just so happened to be that on that specific day the episode plato's stepchildren was playing wow and suddenly you know i get to see i'm watching this episode and all of a sudden here comes this little guy um that's that looks like me and i'm like oh my gosh what is this you know and i mean i just come from being made fun of for being a little guy um and so uh i sit down and i watch that episode and I'm telling you guys, it was like a light bulb going off. It was like the the the, the hair standing up on the back of my uh, my my neck. And uh, I was watching that, and there was the one moment in that episode when he sits next to Captain Kirk, and he says, "What's it like where you come from?" And Captain Kirk looks at him, and he says, "Alexander, where I come from, size, shape, or color makes no difference." And I mean, it was like. A, an explosion going off in me. I was like, Oh my God, how would it be to be in a world like that where nobody judged me for how I looked and my size, but they judged me for what I, what I had inside. Um, and then of course, at the end of the episode, he gets to beam up to the enterprise with them. And that was it, man. I was, I was, I became a hardcore fan. I was just, I, I watched every episode that ran every day after that. And I, went to my first convention where everybody accepted me. They didn't care whether I was little or not. You know, they were dressed up as Klingons and Romulans and, you know, everybody was equal. And, uh, and, uh, and that's where it all began. And I, I just started collecting everything and I put it all up there on, on my wall. I put posters and pictures all over. I was plastered in my wall. I had a giant life-size Spock poster on my bedroom wall. I wish I had pictures of all that still. I did have pictures, but somehow I don't know where they are now, but uh, God, it would bring back good memories to see all my whole room. I mean, every wall was plastered in Star Trek and uh, I have so many fond memories of that time, but uh, that's how it all began for me. It went back to when I was about 14 and uh, it uh, it's never stopped. I've been a fan of, of Star Trek ever since. What an amazing yep. turn of of fate or kismet or whatever that that day put you on your path. It really is. You know, I still feel like fate stepped in on that day because of for, for me to, to decide just on that day that I was going to sit down and watch Star Trek. And I just come from a bad experience where kids were teasing me for being little and lo and behold, what episode should, should appear on that. But you know, Plato's stepchildren with Alexander and, um, yeah, I, I still to this day, I think, you know, somehow fate had something to do with that, that that would be the day I would sit down and watch my very first episode of Star Trek. And um, and, you know, I I uh, I was smitten with it ever since. 
Yeah, and it's I so see, fun. I see the original series come on, and I'll sit there and watch the episodes over again. I still, I love the show so much. It's, it brings back such fond memories for me. Well, and, and you know, it's interesting because Plato's stepchildren obviously is not an episode that's held in very high regard by a lot of people. And yet, even in in the midst of the third season, an episode that I wouldn't say is reviled, but not particularly beloved. Yeah, that it would have this kind of impact on you. And also, you know, you can't underestimate the quote unquote first interracial kiss as well. And so even a mediocre episode, let's call it mediocre episode, has this kind of power. So, I mean, that's incredible. I mean, you know, people watching masks and night terrors aren't getting that out of next generation. (laughs) You know, (laughs) maybe we don't know. We don't know. (laughs) I had horrible nightmares until I saw Night Terrors, and now I'm. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I just I think it's remarkable. Look, I love that story, and you know, uh, look, I I think other than the casting of of Shatner and Free Enterprise, one of the biggest joys in that movie was giving you having you and having you accept, which was very generous, to play Michael Dunn, you know, in Plato's Stepchildren, you know, and it's a quick throwaway, but people who are fans of that episode of Star they get it. I mean, you, as, as, as uh, you know, uh, you know, playing Alexander in Star Trek, it's so great. I, I mean, that's, I just love that. Like coming full circle for me, Mark, when you, uh, you know, you gave me the opportunity to come out and, and, and play Alexander in that whole scene and that, that night filming that with Shatner. And um, it was kind of like, you know, my whole story came full circle, you know, and now here I am being in this amazing film that you guys made, which I still watch, you know, all the time. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm really proud of that. And, uh, and it's funny because that, that night, I mean, that day, I, um, I had flown down to, to San Francisco to meet with the folks at, at Lucasfilm. For those that don't know, I also did the Star Wars fan club. I flew up or flew from there up to LA to come do that overnight with you guys to do free enterprise. And then in the morning, I hopped on a plane back to New York because Shatner was promoting his phone card. Do you remember that? The yeah, I do. Tech card. cards, tech cards, T-E-K, tech. the tech and cards, he, yeah. And he asked me to come back to New York because he was doing a whole big press conference about him. And so he wanted me to get up there during the press conference and say, this is the best Star Trek phone card I've ever had, you know? And, <laughs> and so I went back to New York and did that with him. So I was on the set with you guys. And then I went back to New York the next day with him. Oh, that's hilarious. That is so funny. <laughs> I mean, you know, because for us, that movie was about celebrating, you know, the impact that Star Trek had on our lives. You know, it was, it was kind of a refutation of the Saturday Night Live Get a Life skit. You know, it was kind of like Star Trek meant much and it, it set us on our path and we fell in love and it made a difference. So like the idea, knowing your story and how Plato's stepchildren had impacted you, it was like really wanted to pay homage to that. It's people whose lives were literally changed by Star Trek. Um, you know, it wasn't just something that we, it wasn't just a TV show. But you know what's something funny? more? Free Enterprise has now become a fan cult favorite. You know, I see people every time I ever see a post that anything has to do with Free Enterprise, people are like, "Oh my god, I love that movie!" Oh my gosh, you know. I mean, it's um, so. I, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud to have played even a little bitty part in that. Uh, well, let, let's talk about because, of course, you know, you for many years uh, ran the Star Trek fan club. Uh, which was a huge deal. Um, and you published the Star Trek Communicator magazine and um, uh, basically were the source of information about what was going on in Star Trek. And of course, you were, you know, chronicling Star Trek at the center, the epicenter of Star Trek during its biggest, you know, probably most successful, commercially successful years. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved. And of course, th- that led to this really wonderful relationship that you had with Gene Roddenberry as well. That that's another interesting story. You know, I started a fan club after I saw Star Trek, the motion picture. Um, you know, I was so excited for that movie to come out in 1979. And, you know, I stood in line all day to go see the movie and then saw it and then went and had dinner and then came back, stood in line again to go see it again that night. Um, and the movie, I loved the movie. I was, you know, I, I didn't care if people didn't like it or not. I loved Star Trek, the motion picture. I still do. 
It's one of my all-time favorite Star Trek films. So do I'll we. Sit and- yeah, I know. <laughs> you're, you're on the right podcast, Dan. <laughs> you, guys have, you guys obviously have good taste. And um, I, you know, so after I saw that movie, I was inspired. And I thought, you know, I, I really want to start a fan club of my own. And so um, I sat down in front of a little typewriter and I started typing my fan club newsletter. Um, and I called it Star Trek, the motion picture fan club, because I kind of wanted it to be mostly about the movie. Um, and shortly after that, I got a job at a print shop and I started to learn the tools of the trade and how to make it look better and make it slicker and how to make, you know, photos to put into it and everything. And so after about a year and a half, two years, it started looking kind of slick and, um, somehow it got in the hands of, of Paramount Pictures licensing and uh, I got a call from them and they're like, hey, you know, you're doing this without a license. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm I'm just a kid. You know, I'm just having fun doing this. And they said, well, and I swear this is exactly the words they use. They said, you have the right amount of professionalism mixed with the right amount of fanaticism. And we think we'd like to talk to you about maybe doing the very first official Star Trek fan club. And of course, wow. you know. How, how I had no idea that that was the subject matter they were talking to me about. And I had already, I should add, I had already started developing a relationship with Gene Roddenberry because I'd been sending him my fan club magazine. And, and believe it or not, you know, he was responding to me. He was sending me letters and talking to me about it. And uh, I, I got, I, I was invited out to, um, to come out to um, Paramount Studios and meet with the head of licensing at that time. And um, we had a great meeting. The next thing I know, I don't know, about a, a month later, I get this huge, thick contract in the mail. And I had no attorney or anything at the time. I just kind of read through it. And I asked my dad to read through it and said, Meg, is there anything in there I shouldn't be signing this for? And he's like, no, just sign it. You know, so I signed <laughs> the damn thing and off it went. And uh, that's what made me official. And then Gene came on board and said, you know, this is the guy. I like him, what he's doing. And I, I endorse, uh, I endorse this. And I flew out and sat down and had many meetings with Gene and became good friends with Gene. And, uh, he was always, he was like a big teddy bear. You know, he'd always come, I'd give me a big hug every time I'd go out and see him and we'd sit in his office and chat for a while on things beyond Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and many times, you know, I'd get out of the blue, I'd get a letter from Gene, um, just telling me, Hey, your latest issue was really great. I enjoyed it, you know? And so, uh, I have, I have, uh, such fond memories of Gene as well. And, um, he really, he really stood by me. Um, and he went literally, he went over to licensing and said, I like this guy. You can license him. I, I would approve of this and I'll work with him. And, uh, and that's how the official Star Trek fan club kind of really just evolved and got off the ground. That's so, now, that's so amazing. Um, you had no experience doing uh, at all. I mean, other how did you create this infrastructure to like you had to you know print and and deliver and 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 uh, take um, take subscriptions and all that? How, how how did you even begin to to do that? Well, but sure, I I, I literally learned by doing. You know, I uh, I had a couple of friends that said that loved Star Trek as well, and they got on board with me, and they helped me out um, for a while. And, uh, you know, I just kept hiring one employee after another. And then, you know, at first Paramount didn't want me to sell any merchandise. They just wanted me to do the fan club and the newsletter. And I kept saying, you know, but I really kind of want to make this like Star Trek central. And I want to be able to not only create our own Star Trek official product, but I want to sell everybody else's that you have licensed. And so it just, each year, it just grew little by little. I hired another employee here. I hired another employee there. Um, and I, I pretty much did, in the beginning, I did everything. I did all the interviews, all the writing, all the editing, all the layout and design. I literally went to the printer and stood by the pressman and, and watched it come off the press and, you know, turn up the red, turn down the blue. And, um, and, uh, and by the... Um, by the time it uh, it grew to its biggest size, um, I think between between it and the official Star Wars fan club, because we ran them both out of the same offices, um, I had over a hundred employees, and um, we were uh, fifty five thousand members in the official Star Trek fan club, and uh, 
We had over 150,000 copies of the Star Trek communicator going out onto, you know, newsstands and grocery stores. And, um, you know, I never dreamed that it would turn into that. I never in my wildest dreams, but uh, I was lucky and I had hard work and passion and that you put those all together and that's how something is created. You know, this is one of the wonderful things that uh, Star Trek fans uh, really can uh, generate is they, their passion in Star Trek is not only for the fantasy, but for the uh, reality of creation. And that's one of the wonderful, wonderful things that uh, I've found in Star Trek fans across the world. Amen, Darren. That's exactly <laughs> I feel, too. I mean, it's amazing to me how many. And, you know, one of the things I was able to pass on is that um, I was able to hire fans to work for me. And so it was kind of like their dream job yeah. because I call center with probably 25 people answering the phone, 1-800-TRUE-FAN. And, you know, every issue of the communicator, you'd get the um, Federation Trading Post catalog in the center and um, all had all the latest product and merchandise that, you know, Paramount was licensing for Star Trek. And then we'd have exclusives and people would call up that number and and they'd take their order and place their order for a, a variety of Star Trek products. And um, so I got to hire a lot of fans that to this day, if I bump into them or I see them, they're like, oh, that was the best job I ever had. You know, I get to literally get paid to work on Star Trek. And, um, you know, many of my employees actually still remember one of my favorites, Arnie. He'd come to work every day wearing his Star Trek uniform top, you know. <laughs> so uh, he'd sit there at the call center with you know, sometimes he would be in his uh is as gold uh, captain's you know top and it was just, I'm the captain you should be in a blue tunic yeah exactly <laughs> refused to wear the red one so <laughs> but uh, yeah you know so that was cool to to be able to allow other people to have you know the job of their lifetime was to get paid to work on Star Trek you know did you um, did you did you feel any sort of change in the in the feeling of fandom between when you started the fan club and uh, in later years when the internet sort of was powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it did. Because, you know, before the internet there, you know, I was really, I started the whole thing before the internet was around. So, yeah. you know, people got their information in a lot of ways through the fan club magazine. Um, and, you know, I do updates every issue with Harv Bennett or Leonard Nimoy or William Shatner, or, you know, depending on, who was working on what movie. Um, and then as we got going into the next generation time period with Gene Roddenberry and um, Patrick Stewart and some of the others there um, that were involved in that series. But um, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think when the, it made it less special in a, some ways because when the internet came around, you know, every, you could get things at, you know, a, at your fingertips in a second. And uh, as, you know, as we've gotten into the new internet age, I mean, there's so ne much negativity and stuff out there that, yeah. You know, it, it, it really kind of wears on you. And uh, I'm glad I was able to do what I did for so many years before the Internet was around so that um, that wasn't a, a part of of my company. It wasn't really so much a part of what I had to do. Yeah. yeah. Even yeah. though we were the first ones to do the official Star Trek online store, you know, I mean, when Star Trek dot com came around, right. they asked us since we were already carrying all the Star Trek product to um, do all the back end. Um, so when somebody would place an order on StarTrek.com, that order would come to us and then we would fulfill it and send it out. Um, and, uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, negativity is what I have seen come from the internet. And I'm grateful that I, I wasn't doing what I did for most of the time with that around. Mm -hmm. God, I remember I was on book tour and I came to visit you out in Colorado. And yeah, you had these enormous warehouses where you were doing the fulfillment, giant offices. It was like really impressive, you know, everything that you had um, that, that you had going on. And then I remember you put out the exclusive uh, Kirk is a Romulan action figure. And yeah. I was like, yeah, and he <laughs> oh, yeah. knows what to do. And, you know, this is, this is, this is why yeah. it's good to have fans running this and not and people who are just... We did the, the action figure for the captain out of that Star Trek novel series. And, I'm, and I can't remember his name now. It was one of the very first fiction novel yeah. series. There was a captain in that book. 
and they had, you know, artwork on the cover of him. And so Pocketbooks and Paramount and us decided, let's do a figure, exclusive action figure of this character. And I'm embarrassed. I can't remember what the name well, of that is. Rob Burnett were here, he would know. And I'm sure yeah. on Twitter <laughs> after the episode drops, we'll, we'll have a bunch we'll of people telling us, schooling us. He, he but, you know, know, as we get older, we forget these things. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I want to ask you, because you got involved right after Star Trek The Motion Picture, which as much as we adore and love and worship that film you know was largely not considered a, a critical or, or to certain people a commercial success even though if you look at the numbers it really was what made you take that leap of faith because there was no guarantee that star trek was going to continue any form of fashion with movies or tv shows i i didn't take a leap of faith mark i didn't care i just had so much passion as you know i mean it, star trek changed my life and it literally did from the time i watched that first episode so, you know, I had been this huge fan just growing with Star Trek, you know, this hunger. And that was the other cool thing is that I, you know, you, all of us here on this podcast, we were around, you know, when there was no new Star Trek, you know, people today are spoiled. When we were, you know, when it was back in the old days. Back you know, in my day. Star <laughs> Trek, You know, but, um, you know, it was, um everybody was so hungry just to say, you know, bring back Star Trek, bring back Star Trek. And so I can remember ordering B. Joe Trimble's Star Trek Concordance, mm -hmm. the original one with blue covers on it. And oh my, God, I just devoured that thing when it came out. Um, but, you know, every moment waking up and, and waiting for that day when the motion picture would come was just so exhilarating for me. I just could not wait for that movie to come out. And, um, so when that movie came out, it wasn't a leap of faith. It was just a, a leap of passion. I was mm -hmm. so enthralled with the movie. I absolutely loved it. I loved Star Trek, and I wanted to contribute something. I wanted to be a part of it as opposed to just watching it. I knew I couldn't be a part of making the movies. So I thought, well, what can I do that would have me somehow be a part of Star Trek? And that was start my own fan club. You know it's what? It's, it's, it's almost the same drive that V'ger has in the film. <laughs> to join the creator that's you know, it it doesn't know how it doesn't know why but that's the urge to join this big thing that is bigger than us but that yeah. we want to contribute to it that's a good and to learn all that is learnable know yeah. all that is knowable <laughs> i did um but yeah no that's a good analogy it, it uh you know, I, I just wanted to be a part of this somehow. I didn't I didn't want to just sit back and watch it all the time. And, you know, I it was a matter of um, hard work and uh, luck. I happened to be in the right place at the right time. The, the right head of licensing was there that when they saw what I was doing, you know, um, instead of sending me a cease and desist letter, she she brought me out to the studio and sat me down and actually said, you know, well, maybe it's time for us to actually officially license a fan club. Because, you know, obviously we all know there were fan clubs all over the place there. Sure. Um, but none had been really official. I mean, there was Lincoln Enterprises doing their thing, but um, the studio hadn't gotten behind anything. And, you know, it was just the right combination of being able to put all that together, being friends with Gene, you know, being friends with these people in Paramount Licensing and being able to just kind of merge it all together. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's like, you know, that, that was such a wonderful time in Star Trek's history during that, the whole movie time with the original crew that, you know, for me, there'll never be another time in Star Trek. I don't care what comes down the line from this point onward. There'll never be another time for me like there was in that, and during that time period, you know, as we waited for each movie and, uh, you know, everybody was so excited. I can still remember Paramount gave me um, one of the very first photos of Ricardo Montalban as Khan for me to utilize in the Star Trek fan club newsletter. Um, and I remember getting this overnight package in the mail with these black and white eight by tens. And I was like, Oh my God, it's, I mean, you know, to see how he looked in that movie, you know, and, uh, and then time magazine or people, yeah, I think it was time magazine got to run the very first photo of him with the two girls. And it was a small color mm -hmm. photo. Of um, but they sent me several others. And it was just like a month later, I was able to, send the newsletter out to everybody and boom, there was black and white images of Ricardo Montalban as Khan. And, you know, those are the times that, you know, just, I just don't feel like, you know, 
we still have those anymore. You, there's just so much Star Trek now. It's just, uh, you know, it's not that kind of special feeling as, as it was back in the day. Right. When every three years or four years. That, and you we know, were hungry. We were we hungry were, for it. You know, we're yeah. so appreciative because, you know, you didn't know if there'd be another one every time. It was like, will there be another one? You know, we don't know. It could this could be it. And That's right. uh, and then, you know, because you didn't know if this was it. This might be the last one, you know. Um, so, yeah, it it, um, it was a very special time. And I'm, I'm so glad that I was able to start the fan club, get to know Gene. Um, get to meet all the original cast and, and, and spend time with them um, and um, get to go to the sets of those films and, mm-hmm. and, you know, be a part of the whole Star Trek fan phenomenon and uh, get to create our own products. You know, I kind of would sit down and brainstorm with my team of people and say, you know, what is it you want? Cause I hired Star Trek fans. Yeah. What is it you want? You know, what do you, what do you want? Let, and tell me what you want and let's go to Paramount and say, we want to make this. You know, well, I remember, um, you know, obviously, in addition to, to Gene, you became close with a lot of the cast. What, yeah. what are your sort of kind of reflections on or stories maybe, you know, over the years of dealing with Bill and Leonard and Dee? I mean, you know, such uh, I mean, it, it's so great because, again, you went from watching it and, and admiring them on screen to, you know, be, becoming pretty good friends with them over the years. Yeah, that that for me was probably one of the greatest things that came out of all of this was and you know, they always say, you know, be careful, don't meet your heroes, because you might get disappointed. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd heard prior to, you know, before I would actually got to meet Bill Shatner, and, and, and Mark, you know him very well as well. I'd always heard he was kind of difficult, kind of aloof, and maybe not you know, as friendly as some of the others. Um, and uh, the first time, I, first time I ever met Bill Shatner was on the set of T.J. Hooker. Um, I talked to him several times by phone and such, but the first time face to face, I got to go to the set of TJ Hooker and interview him. And, um, and he offered me up James Darren's uh, um, director's chair to sit in next to him. And we just hit it off. And I, you know, from that point on, I was always found him to be so warm and friendly. And, you know, one, the, the one time, and I'll mention this as a Bill Shatner story, the one time that really meant a lot to me was it was maybe the second or third time I interviewed him. No, it was the second time. And I flew out to LA and met him at his office. And um, we sat down on a couch and I'm sitting here and he's sitting literally next to me and just kind of looking down at me, almost the exact same position as Alexander and Kirk were in, in that episode. And I told him that story and I could see him getting kind of goosebumps on his arms and I still remember this, you know, he's like, oh, my God, Dan, that's an amazing story. And he almost felt I could see him, you know, I swear I almost thought his eyes welled up a little bit when I told him what that had meant to me and how what that episode, how important that was in my life. And um, that moved and motivated him so much that when he came around to write his book, Get a Life, he decided to do a chapter on me and he called me up and wanted me to retell that story again of how that had changed my life. Mm -hmm. And so that's now documented in that book, get a life that he wrote. Um, And what's great is that he remembered it and just stuck with him all those years. Because I will say, you know, I love Bill, but you know, him kind of remembering stuff is not one of his, you know, it's in one ear out the other. And, and uh, so it's really remarkable that, you know, that had that potency that after all those years, he remembered, you know, that story that clearly really touched him. I think he was really moved when I told him it because it was just he and I in that office. And I said, you know, I, I still remember, I said, you know, you were sitting right there, like with Alexander, like I am with you now. And I went and told him the story I told you guys. Um, and I could tell it really kind of moved him. Um, and, you know, I've maintained a good friendship with him ever since I saw him here. He was here in Denver two years ago and I, I went down to his hotel and saw him and, um, um, and, you know, the others, I mean, Leonard Nimoy, he was just such an amazing person as well. I mean, before I, I was anybody, I, was, I had been official, but I hardly, nobody knew anything about the fan club and such. And I, I, I reached out trying to see if I could get an interview with Leonard. And I thought, he's not going to do this with me. I'm, he doesn't know me from squat. Um, and, um, and I still remember, you know, 
him calling me up. And I said, I, I, I'm really surprised. I said, I didn't think you'd, uh, you'd do this interview like this so fast. And he's like, well, sure. Why not? He goes, you're doing a good job. I like what you're doing. Um, let's, let's just do it. And I was so impressed that he was so open and willing to, to just, you know, offer up his time. And, and uh, when I knew he was a busy man, I think this was coming close to working on the search for Spock. Mm-hmm. Um and then my, I have to say though, my favorite of all of them was DeForest Maybe. Kelly. Yeah, well, that's that's pretty much how everybody feels. Who's he him, was who knows he them all. Such a warm, friendly, welcoming person. Um, he'd call me up on the phone sometimes just to talk and, and say, "How are you doing?" I mean, that's seriously. He'd literally call oh. me up. How are you? You know, and his wife Carolyn was just an absolute gem as well. Um, when I got married, they sent me a, a beautiful crystal um, bowl. Um, you know, he invited me out to his star ceremony. Um, and I get Christmas cards from him, um, uh, you know, letters from him in the mail. Every issue that come out, I get him a little note from him saying, you know, great issue. Love that interview with James Doohan or blah, blah, blah. You know, he was such a special man. And, uh, you know, when he died, it really that one really hit me hard yeah. because mm. um, he truly was a friend. He really was a friend. And I, I, I he was like a grandfather type almost. And uh, I really felt wounded when I, when he was lost. Yeah. Um, I, you know, of all of them, Dee's probably the one who I spent the least amount of time with, but, and I, it was really important for me because I, you know, at that point where I had to, I had to meet him, you know, yeah. just because I knew the, you know, at some point I'd met the rest. So, but I was doing, it was back when creation was doing like five or six of those uh, conventions a, a weekend and they had to hire other hosts to do them because they couldn't. So they, I, you know, occasionally, the, the, you know, I was uh, pinch hitting, I would go down and run. So I ran a convention for them down in San Diego and D was the guest and I got to spend some time. It was the only time I really spent any time with D and, you know, he lived up to everything. Everybody always told me about him, just a complete Southern gentleman absolute sweetheart um you just fantastic and you know one of my favorite one of my favorite d memories was i did when i did one of my interviews with him one of the questions i asked him was i said you know how would you what would you like people to say about you after you're gone and he just he sat there hmm huh you know i don't know i'm gonna have to think about that one he says "I, i really don't know what i'd want them to say about me when i'm gone and so uh I figured, okay, well, I won't ask, ask. I won't. I won't offer that uh, question in the in the interview. I just, you know, take that one out. And so it was about two weeks later after that, I get this note in the mail, and uh, he's asking me how I'm doing and everything. He says, "Oh yeah." He says about that question, "What would I like people to say with about me after I'm gone?" He says, "He says, I guess he's dead, Jim." good. Good tongue-in-cheek humor from oh him, you goodness. know. That he, is hysterical. Such a neat guy. Going, such back, a neat. going back to your uh, your uh, talk with Shatner, that was really a gift to him. Yeah, because he he didn't know he didn't know the impact of the show or his performance. He still kind of doesn't, but he's he's beginning to. But what an amazing thing that you could give him in return for what you got from the show is that a little bit of connection and to show him the the depth of passion and and love for this thing that that's that, just such a wonderful thing and that too darren is kind of you know what that book is get a life you know obviously it was tongue-in-cheek the title and it was right that saturday night live skit um and uh, but, you know, the whole kind of theme of that book and why I think one of the reasons why he included me in there was, you know, he was really starting to learn. He was having his eyes opened as to just how much this show meant to people and how it changed the fans lives. And yeah. he, he said, I knew it was important, but he said, I, I, I still remember. I don't know the exact words in the book, but, you know, he said, my eyes have been open. You know, he says, I'm really seeing a whole new world of what this show has really meant to people and how it's changed lives. And that was really the whole kind of theme behind that book. Um, and so I was, you know, and B. Joe and B. Joe and John Trimble were in there as well. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's, um, yeah, you know, I, it was a gift to me and it was, uh, 
was awfully special for me to be give to give that gift back to him and let him know that's great how important that moment was to me and then you know star trek was always a cult thing until next generation in its heyday when it became a real mainstream success and i i assume that was probably you know and reflected in the fan club as well that you oh, yeah. that was probably the height of the fan club talk a little bit about your personal connection to sort of next generation and from business point of view what it meant for you as well next generation took the fan club from here all the way to here i mean it, it became massive um when next generation came out and you know it was amazing to me because you know, before the next generation, Star Trek fans, you know, they were kind of, you know, people would consider them nerdy and geeky and stuff. But when next generation came on, suddenly people were coming out of the woodworks and going, oh, I love that show. I watched that show. And there weren't hardcore Trek fans, but they loved the next generation. I'd see that everywhere people, you know, I would talk to. Um, and, you know, prior to the next generation coming out, um, Gene did updates with me. And we had the very first place where he announced who the new characters were. Mm -hmm. And it was early that Picard wasn't Jean-Luc Picard, he was Julian Picard. Mm. Uh, and so we, we, we had a little sketch of the, the new Enterprise and there was all the listings of the new cast and crew that were gonna be on the show. Um, and so that was kind of cool. And then Gene personally invited me out to the set um, when they were filming Encounter at Farpoint. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that was, mind-blowing to get to go to that set and none of these actors at the time I you know I didn't really know their characters because I hadn't watched an episode of the show yet and so um they hadn't really become known to the public yet and so I still remember you know I was given access to Patrick Stewart and he and I went back to his trailer and we must have sat for two hours doing the, what I believe was the very first interview he ever gave mm. um about Star Trek, because this was before Encounter Farpoint ever came out. Right. And then was starting to set, we sat in his trailer and he talked about Shakespeare. And I asked him, you know, all about his, 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 with the Royal Shakespeare Company. And then, you know, how he felt about being a part of Star Trek. And, um, and then Gene took me around a tour of all the sets, took me to the bridge. And I still remember, it was kind of funny because I remember as we were walking around um, and we were on the sets, all of a sudden here comes this guy past me in a yellow uniform with a white face. And it was Brent. And I remember kind of looking at him and thinking, you know, cause to me at the time being in person, the makeup yeah. didn't look that good. No, to me. no, it looks much better on camera. Yeah. I was like, and Gene looked at me and, he, and Brent was always, you know, Mr. Nice and Hey, how are you? You know, mama. And as he left, Gene looked at me and winked. He goes, he's going to be huge because he he's going to be a massive character. And I remember thinking, okay, well, he doesn't look very good. I was like, I hope he looks better on screen because that makeup didn't look really very cool to me. Um, and so I had a little doubts about Data in the very beginning until I saw him on screen and then saw Brent Spiner really performing as Data. And, and then I was, obviously, I was relieved to see what a great character he was. That was an interesting time, Dan. Not a lot of people can relate to that. I I was on set. I was on the lot for Farpoint, mm -hmm. uh, my first time in Los Angeles, and I was at Paramount and saw people in costumes. And for me, that was like amazingly exciting. Just to see people in the commissary wearing Starfleet uniforms is like, oh my god, this has all happened before, and it's all going to happen again. But yep. I ended up through happenstance and I won't tell the story again, you know, my, uh, my senior college getting a chance to go and cover uh, next generation for my college newspaper. Uh, or at least that's, that was how I arranged it. And um, so I was there right after Farpoint and naked now had aired. I was on the set of too short a season. And it's it, the reason I mention this is because you talk about being there and interviewing people for Farpoint, you know, having, you know, not even aired yet. It was so difficult to do those interviews at that time because you yeah. knew virtually nothing about the show. So everything was like, well, how will this relate to, you know, in, in terms of the original and remember there was so much antipathy and a lot of the people that had been interviewing them were very negative and confrontational apparently um, yeah. because they were like, Oh, well, are you the new Spock? Are you the new McCoy? And so it was a very interesting, challenging way to interview them because you didn't know much. And, yeah. you know, like particularly, 
you know, I wanted to love that show so much. And like the first two episodes weren't particularly great. So it was like, um, it was really, it was really tough and you knew nothing and they hadn't really done much. No, nobody had really done, you know, Patrick had done obviously some great work back in England, you know, like, what are we going to do? Sit there and talk to him about I Claudius, you know? <laughs> so it's like, um, you know, so he did stuff like life force and Excalibur and Dune. And it's like, okay, you can talk about that, but it's like, it was, it was so hard to find a way in to talk to these people. And I, I remember to this day, the most avuncular of them all was Frakes. Oh, you yeah. know? He was just, a delight and he made you feel really comfortable it's like oh come sit down and he was wearing that pink bathrobe uh yeah. that he wore you know and um and he was great and, and he hasn't changed a bit uh yeah. over the years he's he's just you know just as warm and fun loving as ever and uh <laughs> grin that big wonderful grin and the fan it's no wonder that the fans love him so much because he is you know he that's just he's just such a neat guy and that was my experience with him too you know, I, I, you know, um, you know, he, uh, I went, you know, I, I went to the trailers with most of these people to do their interviews yep. back then because yep. uh, they wanted a quiet place to do it, you know? And so, uh, um, it, you know, it was, uh, it was kind of amazing to think back now because, you know, but the time when, when I was talking to all these guys, nobody knew who they were. I mean, I didn't know who they were. I had to ask them more about their characters and, mm-hmm. you know, it was, uh, like I said, it was a time that I'll never have again. And I do remember when the next generation was announced and every hoping that it would be something new with Kirk, Spock and McCoy. Right, and sure. found out it's an all different cast of characters. I do remember in the beginning, people like, well, it's, it's not Star Trek without Kirk, Spock and McCoy. I'm not I'm not into that. You know, yeah, yeah. I remember people really was, against it. Real version to it in the beginning. And it took people a while to warm up to the next generation. Well, and then, you know, it didn't help that early on it was so, um, it wasn't particularly good. I, I do remember Frank saying to me uh, when I, you know, got, when we sat down and he said, oh, you should have come last week. We were on the <laughs> Eel planet. That was the episode to be on set for. <laughs> and it was so funny. I, you know, I remember this 30 freaking five, you know, 30, 30 years ago, 33 years ago, whatever. And I remember that like it was yesterday. It's so funny. Um, and, you know, Will Wheaton was so young at the time and he was the biggest star. He had done Stand By Me and of all of them, he was the most well-known. He was the get, you know? It's amazing. Uh, it, I know. It's amazing that when you think now that Will Wheaton was the, he was really the most well-known person on the next generation when it first started. Yeah. Uh, that, that's kind of an amazing thing to think about now. You know? How did you find over the years that they changed? Did you find they changed much or, you know, because you obviously did many more set visits as did I over the years. Did you find that it, it changed other than their trailers getting bigger? Did you find yeah. much, um, you know, much difference over the years as you, you, um, I didn't find them much different. I mean, obviously they were more in demand. Um, so they had, they had less time to give me because they had, uh, more people wanting to talk with them and they had this to do and that to do. Um, so, uh, you know, I didn't get two hours with Patrick Stewart like I did on that first interview on, on the, yeah. the, you know, um, but, um, you know, I, I always, I developed such a good relationship with them from the very beginning because quite frankly, Gene introduced me to each one of them. Right. Know? Yeah, sure. And so they knew, they knew that, you know, um, there was something special there and um, I got to know them well enough so that um, if I needed something, you know, I could always send a, a message through PR and say, you know, I need this and I need that. It's like, for instance, one of the, um, one of the issues, uh, I did an interview with Gene Roddenberry and I was telling um, licensing and then they had to hook me up with PR. And I said, you know, I want to have a, a specific photo shoot for this cover. I want to have Gene on the cover uh, on the bridge and I want to have, you know, the cast members there with him. I want to have, you know, Picard and Frakes and Worf and Data standing there next to him and Gene in the center. So I literally flew out there and I was able, and I had the set photographer and I kind of almost got to tell them what I wanted. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Rick Berman got in the shot. And um, <laughs> so, you know. I, you know, it was the, that, that shot wasn't made for anybody else. It was exclusively done for the fan club magazine. I remember that shot. Well, yeah. Yeah, Ron Berry is sitting in the director's chair in the middle with his legs crossed. Yeah. Captain's chair. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. And so, uh, 
you know, it was kind of amazing to get this opportunity to, you know, to have an exclusive photo and direct it and say, I want this and that. And I call up Gene's office, you know, and, um, and, uh, you know, he made it happen. And the PR got all the, the rest of the cast together while they were in uniform and, and um, it happened. So, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, they all got a little less available because they became more, um, more popular and more in demand. But um, as far as, you know, I got the same treatment from them I ever gotten until to this day. If I see them at a convention, you know, we're still friendly. I know them and they see me and they remember me. And even though I haven't worked with them for a good God, 20 years, I don't know how long it's been. And then you, 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 did you find Deep Space Nine similar in terms of covering that on, by then Gene had passed away, obviously. Yeah. But Deep Space Nine was still in my time frame, and I still, and I, and I worked on that and, and got to interview Avery Brooks and, and all the other cast members. And um, so, yeah, that was, you know, that was kind of a weird one for me because um, I wasn't quite ready for a series to come right after The Next Generation and have it, well, it was on at the same time, right? Wasn't it on at the same time as The Next Generation? Yeah, it was, it was, it was an overlap. In the middle, yeah, 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 it was an overlap. And, you know, the fact it was on a space station and everything, I wasn't quite too sure I was going to like that one. And, uh, you know, we got to do, um, I got to go out and do interviews with every one of the cast members. And, of course, I... I loved all of them. Um, Avery Brooks was a little distant, but not un unfriendly. Um, he was a I tough interview, though. He oh, was yeah. A tough never, got know, never got to know him like all the other cast yeah. members. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he yeah. just, he, he didn't like doing press. And, no. you know, he was very, you know, he'd say as little as possible. Right. And, you know, you also got to, he, he does the thing I see Shatner do sometimes with people where he sort of tests them to see if they know what they're talking about. And if they ask interesting questions, then they'll engage. But if not, then it's just like, no, yes, no. Well, you, you know, know. It, 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 what the one thing I will say about Avery Brooks is once again, he was also a good sport about stuff because we did, and I don't remember how many years ago this was, we did uh, on the communicator, we wanted to do um, the African-Americans of Star Trek. And so we wanted to interview all of the African-American actors that had appeared on Star Trek were in major roles. And we wanted to have Avery Brooks um, have an exclusive photo shoot of him um, sitting in the captain's seat. Um, and um, I think we titled it something like on the cover, Making It So, you know, African-Americans of Star Trek. And uh, uh, I flew out there and um, he was gracious. He was, you know, he wasn't right. in the uniform, he was in his own clothes. Mm -hmm. And we had the photographer once again. And he spent an hour sitting in that captain's chair taking yeah, the that's great. Wanted just for the fan club magazine. It doesn't like for People magazine or right, Time. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, so, he's so great in the show, particularly those last couple of seasons. He's so uh, good, you know. Um, his, voice, his voice was another thing. You know, he like Patrick Stewart, he has that deep voice. Oh, he has so much gravitas. Absolutely. Yeah. So you know, and then, you, you know, that was sort of the, the heyday of Star Trek, you know, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, the movies, uh, the transition to the Next Generation movies in terms of its popularity. And then, you know, it started to wane regardless. At what point did did you uh, sell the sell the fan club and, and, and get out of the fan club business? It was um, let's see, it was about 1999, 2000. Um, things were starting to kind of wane things weren't getting weren't going up that well um and um we also had hey 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 that's my dog by the way in the background <laughs> oh hello what's his name bones her actually baguette she's a little french oh, baguette. <laughs> nice <laughs> she's a good little dog um but yeah it was starting to wane and and star wars episode one was out and it it was not really popular and so between the two franchises that I was running the fan clubs for, I, uh, I decided it was the time to, to sell. And, mm -hmm. um, before, sold, before, I, you, before you uh, sell off everything. Yeah. I just want to ask about, because I, I saw you, I was at the Star Wars Celebration 1. Yeah. Oh, my God. In the rain? <laughs> In the rain with Tony Daniels running around, uh, talking to people and, and umbrellas everywhere. And I saw you running around frantic and, and keeping it all together. Um, but, you know, and this was before, this was before we saw the movie. Um, that was the most fun convention experience I've ever had. Because 
had to hear uh, that because it was so crazy and yeah. so out of control but the energy was there and yeah. you could feel the energy in line in in the halls in everything and i just wanted to know what are the similarities or differences between star wars fans and star trek fans in your in your mind or well, are there any they're both they're both extremely passionate um you know, for me, um, Star Trek fans are a little more serious. Star Wars fans are a little bit more light, um, lighthearted, um, um, a little more I don't, loose for that matter. I don't know how what word I would use to describe it. Um, but, you know, they're, they're similar in the sense that they both have this enormous passion. Um, and, you know, what's amazing, Darren, is that I found, especially when I was doing the fan club, you know, it crossed over. You know, oh, there yeah. were... Get these writers that would interview me for newspaper articles and stuff and say, you know, Star Wars versus Star Trek. The fans don't like each other, do they? And I'd say, you know, what's amazing is that they, you wouldn't believe how many people love Star Wars and love Star Trek. They're not, it's not like, oh, it's only one thing and not another, you know, yeah. I mean, that, that, that wasn't, uh, it didn't come into my life that much. Um, and I would know because I was doing both of them, you know? Right. right. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, the anticipation for the first Star Wars movie, I mean, episode one, I should say. Right. Similar in the buildup and the excitement the fans had for Star Trek, the motion picture. Yeah. This, you know, every waiting for the first photograph, you know, every bit of information, wanting to know what was, you know, what was coming out, seeing the first images of a character, you know, in their new uniform or their new outfit or, you know, uh, the, the, I, I found the um, anticipation and excitement to be very similar to when I was a fan waiting for Star Trek, the motion picture yeah. and when I was a fan waiting for Star Wars episode one, you know, and what's amazing is that, you know, both movies had their detractors, people that didn't sure. like them, sure. but I loved them both. So i yeah. and I still do, I still think they both, you know, 20 years later, I see both Star Trek, the motion picture and, and episode one standing up for me, for me, right. I still, I still watch them. I still think they're great films. But you got to give George Lucas the advantage because he put you in the movie, whereas Gene yeah. never put you in a movie. <laughs> I, I know, you know, they promised me, Rick Berman promised him to put me in an episode of Star Trek and it never happened. Yeah, see, it's not too late. I mean, Whatever. Rick Berman's <laughs> promise won't help, but, uh, but yeah. uh, you know, well, you know, I don't know. It is what it is. It is, is what it is, exactly. It is and then... You know, obviously you sold the, the fan club in, in, in 1999, 2000. Do you think there's still a place in the world we live in, the internet era? Because it used to be, and you said at the very beginning, this is where people went to get their information, to learn about the new Star Trek and to share with like-minded fans. But now with the internet and with instant communication and even the new phenomena on streaming, watch parties, where everyone watches these things together as a group, is the day of the fan club, is that something like the poster book and Starlog that's just a thing of the past? Or do you think there's a place for the fan club uh, uh, today still? My, my personal opinion is it's a thing of the past. Um, the internet now being the way it is, the, the streaming services, all of this that's been going on now, um, I, I just don't think it has the special place, the special meaning um, that it used to, you know, and there's, you, you go to the newsstands, you still get, you can get your magazines off the newsstands. Um, I, I just don't think the fan clubs, the way I did them, um, there is no place for them now. That was a, that they were a, a thing of the past. They were great for what they were at the time. But um, as far as modern day, I, I just don't see any place for them now. The other thing is all that niche merchandise they would buy through people like you Whereas right. now you can get anything on Amazon or eBay and probably for less money and less shipping. So it's yep. not, there's no way to make it cost effective for right. some a small businessman like you to, yeah. to do no, that. That's right. You wouldn't make it cost effective. There's too much competition now out there, especially with the Amazons of the world. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be um, economically. You couldn't make it work like I, like it was back in the day. Like I said, it was a time and a place and I'm grateful mm -hmm. that, able to do it when I did 
And um, I'm glad that, uh, you know, we brought a lot of joy to a lot of people. I still, to this day, guys, I get people come up to me and say, oh, my God, the fan club magazines were so important to me. I couldn't wait to get them in the mail. And I loved opening up and reading and looking at them and seeing all the merchandise. And, you know, so that still gives me a lot of joy to hear how much uh, pleasure people got out of the fan clubs back in their day. Cool. I totally understand. It's a long time now, but people still remember it. Still, it still resonates with people. It's the same yeah. thing when people come up to me and tell me how much they love Free Enterprise or my old articles in Cinema Fantastic. It's a long time, Absolutely. too long, <laughs> but uh, long. It's, it's always nice to hear. <laughs> yeah, it is. And like I told you, I hear that all the time when I see anything posted about Free Enterprise. I hear people raving about it, how how important and how much they love that film. Well, no more than for, for, for us who made it because it was a really, you know, obviously my, my first Your film support. I ever made, but, you know, to, to have the chance to have done that with Bill Shatner was yeah. very, 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 very special. And to have yep. worked with Darren Docterman. Right. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was pretty great. Well, Dan, this has been fantastic. And, you know, I'm so glad. I, I think your story and everything you've done you know, is so special. And like I said, because it came from love, it didn't come from, I'm going to cash in on Star Trek or I'm going to cash in on Star Wars. It's like, you were just passionate about this. You loved it. And and you made it work and you made a living off of it for a long time. And that's great. So tell us what you're doing now. Right now. Well, I'm doing a lot of marketing and PR for a variety of different um, companies and people. My main thing I'm working on right now is for a STEM fashion company um, called Spaha USA. Um, and you can find them at Spaha. It's S-V-A-H-A-U-S-A.com. And for anybody out there and Star Trek fans, you know, it's, it's all a part of that world. Science, technology, engineering, math, it all falls into that, the, the Trek world. Um, and so it's fashions for, for primarily women, but there's for men and boys. Um, and, um, um, yeah, everything, everything you'd want um, under that that whole STEM, that STEM uh, subject matter, and uh, people can go there and they see the creative uh, designs that uh, the company has. And so my job is to help market and promote them and get them out to the world, just like I'm doing right now. Very cool. <laughs> well, I hope when the, we're all vaccinated and the conventions come back, we can all be together in San Diego or WonderCon or one of these wonderful places and catch up uh, on, on everything and see you in person. But this will have to be the next best thing for now. Hey, man, I really enjoy watching you guys on this podcast. It's been, I, I've always enjoyed it. It's fun and it's a, it's a thrill for me to be able to be on here and talk to both of you. No, I'm glad we finally got to have you on. I mean, you know, Look, if there was a Mount Rushmore of Star Trek fans, you know, with B. Joe and, uh, you know, uh, some of the people who were involved in the first conventions, you should be on it, too. You know, <laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean, you know, so. Uh, uh, so anyway, well, listen, this is great, Dan. It's great to see you. And uh, we'll uh, we'll hopefully have to have you back because uh, we want to hear about some of your other favorite Star Trek episodes and shows and things and and. Uh, we're, we're trying to get <laughs> there's a lot more to discuss. So, okay, well, cool. We'll take care and stay safe. Thank you. We'll, Thank we'll see you, Dan. Soon. Mark, Darren, take care. I've enjoyed it. Well, I knew that would be a good show, Darren. I was not disappointed. I thought Dan was a great guest. Yeah. What a, what a great, what a great story. What a great guy. I mean, you can just, you feel the energy that he had for this. And it's just, uh, you know, I, I made a joke in the Roddenberry voice that, you know, this is the, you know, this is the good side of Star Trek fandom, where it uh, is a creative force uh, to help add to the universe. And uh, that was entirely the situation with this. Yeah. And, you know, we hear, uh, you, know, you know, obviously we're, we're lucky to have people like Alan Spencer who are depicting another side of Gene, a much, a much, you know, this is, this is the Gene that I want to remember. This is the Gene I think about the Gene, you know, who was friends with Dan Matson, who was there for Alan Spencer, yeah. you know, such a good guy uh, in so many ways. The human um, being, not the great the, bird. The, the human being, right. Not the great bird, not the, not the, don't print the legend. Not the, not but, the creation, right. Yeah. Not the creator, but the, uh, yeah. <laughs> the touch the creator. <laughs> but, um, but uh, it was, um, uh, I love hearing these stories about Gene, you know, um, the human being. And it, it was, it was, uh, it was great. And uh, I'm sure Rod would love to hear some of these stories. He probably has actually. Um, 
uh, from from Dan. But uh, Dan Dan was such a great guest that I I, I it was like I said such a special moment when we were shooting uh, No Tears for Caesar yeah. at the Chaplin stages, um, uh, which is where actually Citizen Kane had shot. Um, a chiller chaplain had shot a lot of his movies and here we were with our guardian of Puri, a gardens of Puri infused Amps. production design <laughs> for this big party that was happening uh, on the soundstage. And of course, Shatner was doing his one man version of uh, um, Julius Caesar uh, as a rap, no tears for Caesar. And in the crowd, so many of your favorite Inglorious Drex Prince guests like Gabriel Stanton and, uh, you know, uh, Rob behind the camera, of course, directing. And there was um, Dan Madsen as Alexander in the, the toga. Just cheer. I remember when he first stepped on set, you could hear a pin drop. Everybody was like, be all for all the Star Trek fans, not the extras, but like right. everyone who was like invited friends of show, you know? Right. And they're all like, couldn't believe it. It was like he was a spitting image of Michael Dunn yeah. as a galaxy. It was so cool. And it was such a great tribute to that episode. And it was just, it was great. It's just a throwaway thing in the movie, but it's, it's, um, uh, it's wonderful. And I just, it's a I throwaway thing that. in the movie that is full of throwaway things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The whole movie is a throwaway. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's pretty great. But yeah, it was great to have Dan on the show. We've been trying to get Dan on the show when we we're in the studio to coordinate when he was down here and it just never worked out. So this whole, you know, we were able to grab him via zoom. So I'm, I'm glad we finally got him on the, uh, on the show. Indeed. Okay. Well, uh, if you're a fan of Inglorious Trexperts, um, you may want to check us out on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, where you can get daily updates and bonus features from the podcast. Also, uh, you can listen to us wherever you get podcasts. Uh, please rate us five stars. Uh, that helps bring new viewers and listeners to the podcast. Of course, you can now watch us on um, uh, on uh, on the Electric Now app. So download the Electric Now app from your favorite app store and you can watch us on demand along with other great electric search podcasts like um best movies never made the 430 movie and uh, the rebel and the rogue so check that out uh wherever uh, at the electric now app and um and unfortunately dan madsen will not be starting the inglorious trexperts fan club no, uh, but he much should. As, much as we have urged him to. No, we <laughs> That's right. The Trexpress fan club. Right. <laughs> well, I think we're big enough fans of ourselves that we don't need anybody Absolutely. else. Absolutely. Well, certainly, <laughs> certainly some of us are. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, the right. slings and arrows. I was oh. speaking of me, of course. Oh, and... Uh... <laughs> and, and uh, I want to thank, of course, um, our amazing... Uh, post-production team in uh, Bill Ritter, who always makes us sound so great, even via Zoom, um, his uh, new associate, Mark Rivera, and of course, our production associates, Zach Raggetts and uh, Peter Holmstrom for all their help, and uh, our producer, Natalie Miscali. So uh, it's it's been a pleasure bringing you another episode, and I hope you'll also check out our new Trexperts briefing rooms, which will be appearing on the podcast intermittently, where we do deep dive commentaries into a curated series of significant Star Trek episodes. That doesn't mean the best. It no. just means significant. They're significant for some reason or another. Maybe we can get Dan back to do Plato's stepchildren. I think that would be fun. Yeah. And so. The commentary sounds like are, fun. They're jam packed with ephemera. Yeah, yeah. If you think we talk about a bunch of trivia and trivial stuff on the regular podcast, just wait, wait until you listen to the audio commentary. <laughs> talk about trivial. That's it. it's a real trivial pursuit. So um, anyway, we want to thank you for joining us again, and we hope you'll join us next Friday at ten o'clock for an all new episode of Inglorious Trexperts. Until then, keep on trekking ingloriously, of course. Engage. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.